legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Gary Michaels, one of the founding partners of Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, and you're listening to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm really excited to introduce you to Chuck Bongiovanni. Chuck is currently CEO and co-founder of Majestic Residences Franchise System, a senior residential care home franchise, and is an entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Chuck and I met, I'm guessing, about four or five years ago now, and we worked together in one of his companies, which we'll talk about today, called Care Patrol. And Chuck has made a major difference in the senior industry and just as an all-around good entrepreneur and gets things done. So uh, welcome to uh, Let's Talk Legacy, Chuck. Great. Thanks for having me. Sure. Let's dig right in a little bit. Your formal education is quite interesting. Having completed a BA in psychology from Arizona State University, you could have taken that in a lot of different directions. But how did a psychology background help prepare you for the career path you started going down? And how does this play into your social work? Yeah. Well, I'm a master's in uh, in administrative social work. And while I was getting my master's degree, I worked at a nursing home as a CNA. So that kind of got me involved in working with seniors. And this is when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh, It was many, many years ago. And I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really liked working with seniors. Hardest job of my life, but I absolutely loved it. Then I went to ASU for the master's in administrative social work. Got my first job after graduation as a medical social worker for a home health agency. So what I did was um, I checked in on seniors after they were discharged from the hospital. And sometimes they went home and sometimes they went to assisted living. And I got a call from my boss one day who said that we had a senior who was in assisted living who was threatening to leave and she was actually threatening violence. And so they wanted me to go down and you know just check on her and calm her down a little bit. And on my way there, you know, I knew the place well. It was known for Alzheimer's and dementia. When I got there, though, I found a 74-year-old woman who was clear as day, no dementia, no Alzheimer's. The only one confused in the room that day was me. And then I asked her, you know, how did you find this place? And she said that it was the only one that her daughter knew. So, of course, I called the daughter and asked her about it. And sure enough, it was the only one she knew because it was on a main street and after I talked to the daughter and gave her some recommendations for some other places, I realized that there was a hole there. People just didn't know where to find appropriate assisted living places. So I kind of merged social work with a real estate kind of background or, or model, shall we say. And then I created uh, Care Patrol from there. And I totally know what you're talking about. And I know the process of the people that help families that aren't in the know make decisions on those sort of things. And it's such a needed role, I think, because... That's not something that the normal folk has knowledge in. Right. And they don't they don't plan for it either. You know, we're not good at planning for long-term care. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, Alzheimer's, if you're wrongly diagnosed, it, it actually could worsen your situation. And yeah. Matter of fact, a lot, a lot of women, uh, a lot of elderly women get UTIs and that kind of looks like Alzheimer's, looks like dementia. So sometimes they do get misdiagnosed. I know. 
Okay, so in 1993, you founded Care Patrol. First of all, tell people a little bit about what Care Patrol does and a little bit about that industry. Sure. Care Patrol helps families find assisted living, memory care, residential care homes. So think of it as a real estate agent. Instead of showing family regular homes, they're going to show them senior living homes. And it's free to families. They get paid by the facility that um, the family chooses to move into. So a family can get this service of being educated and helped, and it doesn't cost a penny. That way there's no pressure on the family, correct? Exactly. Mm -hmm. How do they make a decision on what place they'd recommend to people? Well, they're going to take a look at what the senior's current needs are, care needs, what the future care needs are, and then they're going to take a look at any kind of uh, violations that the place may have to make sure it's a safe place. And then they, you know, they take all those things, take a look at finances, take a look at, you know, social issues and all those kinds of things to recommend three or four places uh, in, a, in, a, in an area. When you first started with Care Patrol, were there other people in that space or did you pretty much create the space? I pretty much created the space on a multiple home level. At the time when I first started, there were people doing it, but they were only working with two or three homes. So I was the first one that kind of brought that to the whole mass communities, mass number of, of facilities. Would you share a little bit the difference between assisted living, you know, memory care, independent living, what some of the options are? Sure. Well, I like to always start with nursing homes. Nursing homes are for the sickest of the sick, the, the seniors who are bed bound and have other medical issues that need 24-hour medical care. Assisted living is for people who need help with like showering, bathing, medication, monitoring, help with what we call ADLs, which is uh, activities of daily living. Independent living is pretty much it. It's, it's an apartment where seniors live. Um, they may have meals together in a big dining room area, but they really don't need any kind of hands-on kind of help. Memory care, of course, are people who have diagnosed with dementia or, or Alzheimer's. And then residential care homes, uh, which is what I'm doing now, pretty much covers assisted living and memory care in actual residential neighborhoods. Mm. How many people would typically live in a house? Yeah, well, depending on the state, we can have uh, six to 16 residents in a home. And these are these are homes in, like, like again, just residential neighborhoods that we help them get licensed and put all of our systems in there and operations and such. You know, they basically create little, small assisted living facilities in regular neighborhoods. And is there Alzheimer's patients mixed in with assisted living people, or are they usually separate type of houses? You know, someone with, with light memory issues would be could be in there with someone with assisted living, but the heavier cases, heavier memory cases usually have their own, own homes specifically for that. Got it. What's staffing like for something like that? We're looking at, you know, let's say there's 10 residents. It's about a one to five ratio and compare that to the big facilities. So like, you know, one to 15, one to 20. So it's a big difference. So the, the people in residential care, the seniors in residential care really need more supervision than those in the bigger places. Okay. So when you took this concept to the franchise space, what was that like scaling it up? But <laughs> it, it's it's funny because franchisors go through stages too, you know, it's just as franchisees do. When we first started, you know, we were so afraid to tell our franchisees all our secrets. And it's kind of funny when you think back because that's exactly what franchisors are supposed to do. Right. So that was a very short period of time. And then all of a sudden we said, well, wait a minute, we're going to, we're going to really share our model with our franchisees and have them actually take our baby and run with it. And that was the neatest thing to watch is how, how the franchisees actually improved on this 
What do you think it was that gotten you to the point where you were really respected as one of the top franchises? Yeah, well, in 2000, we started we started franchise in 2009. It really started turning around when we hit about 100 franchisees. Then we started getting calls from people that we were trying to get on the phone before who wouldn't even take our calls. Uh, so in, in 2014, we purchased our uh, biggest competitor, which really put us on the map because people were like, wow, here's this small company that just bought another company. And then in 2018 is when we got the call from um, a private equity firm that was interested in uh, acquiring us. And what do you think it was that made it so that somebody wanted to buy you? What did you guys create there? Was it the duplication? Was it the number of franchisees? Well, the yeah, level no, of service? What? Yeah. Kind of all of that, plus knowing, you know, we already had a system down, so they could come in and not have to really build anything as far as, you know, systems. Now, they, of course, improved on all the systems, but most private equity companies look for companies with undiscovered value. And we were hovering at about, I don't know, 140, 150 franchisees for about two, three years. And, then, uh, and we just couldn't move it forward anymore, you know? So uh, they're, they're experts at looking for companies to, to acquire and, and, and build. So you're also a certified senior advisor. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit about what that is and how do you get certified in something like that? And does it give you an advantage? Yeah, I think it gives you an advantage. There's an organization, you know, there's testing, there's studying that has to get involved in that. And that's open to the general public who's working with, with seniors. It was a pretty difficult test with a three-day kind of operation, um, three-day study, three-day courses, and then taking the test for that. How does somebody, just out of curiosity, that's listening to the show, how do they get involved in either working in a care home? You know, maybe they want to start a business and build a majestic residence, or maybe someone wants to start a franchise. Like, how do they get started in something like this? Well, you know, to start a residential care home, you always have to look at the state and city regs. They all have steps you have to go through, not only for, for building, but for codes and all those kinds of things. So they have to go through the states. It's a pretty difficult process, which is why we franchised it, made it a lot easier. But it's about an eight-month process to get through all the red tape and all the licenses and surveys and those kinds of things. You know, now I'm one of the founding partners of Southwestern Legacy, and every day I'm with seniors, and I'm with seniors helping them get set up with their life insurance needs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people don't have as much money. They're not in a situation where they can afford the creme de la creme of locations. What are the options for people when they need to go into some sort of senior care facility, but the family, you know, isn't wealthy? Yeah. Well, some states do pay for assisted living through the Medicaid program. Okay. Um, It varies state by state. I mean, I I know some states that that you can live in a really nice place and some places not the best of places. But there is states that you can look for funding through the state? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Chuck... One of your many big contributions is authoring the community integration model, a specialized discharge planning model for hospitals and healthcare to reduce readmissions and reduce Medicare spending per the beneficiary. Now, that was a mouthful there, but I wanted to make sure I said it right. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, hospitals, when you're working in a busy hospital, it's a lot easier to discharge a senior to a nursing home to a rehab or nursing home. It's just easier. It's just a paperwork. And that isn't always the best place for seniors. So when I created that model, it was really geared more towards the hospital case managers. And I was asking them the question, could this senior go to assisted living with the medical support systems of a home health company? And if the answer to that was yes, then uh, we trained the case managers to 
at least make that an option for the families. Not make the assumption that they can't afford it, but at least make that an option because it is a least restrictive environment, which there's federal laws that say they have to discharge the least restrictive environments. But because it's easy to refer to a nursing home and they quote unquote qualify for a nursing home, that's the route that gets taken way too much where the, the families just aren't given that choice of uh, level of care. It seems like all of these rules you've had, Chuck, there's a lot of pressure involved in them. I mean, there's state regulations. Everything is, has guidelines. There's families involved. There's big money involved. There's sickness. I mean, it's a lot. How have you stayed level-headed to go through a pretty stressful industry and still make sure that you relax and, and have some peaceful time to yourself so you could be strong for your teams? Well, I always believe in somewhat of a, a work-life balance. In the very beginning, it was more work than life, you know, but you you have to have that time to recharge. And my wife and I enjoy sometimes just, you know, going away for a weekend, you know, just, just get in the car, driving somewhere for a weekend. And that's kind of like my two-week vacation, you know, <laughs> I can't go on long vacations. It just drives me absolutely crazy. You know, this, this last holiday season, you know, four days of not working, I was just going nuts, you know, bored couldn't figure out what to do. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I looked at it as energizer buddy kind of thing. I get all my rela- relaxation in, in a shorter period of time, but overdo it, I guess. Just do nothing, watch TV or, you know, do something exciting. Just make it a little easier to kind of stay level. Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID. How has it affected your business? Um, how has it played into regulations and everything that you're trying to put together? How have you done your business differently? You know, it didn't hit the smaller residential care homes as much as it did the nursing homes and the big places. And that just has to do with, of course, numbers. You know, if you're in a a home with uh, 10 people compared to a home with 200, you know, chances are you're going to probably get COVID in in the bigger places and the smaller places. How the it's affected some states did shut down visitation, which made it really hard for families not being able to go and check on mom and talk to mom. And what was really difficult was, you know, let's say mom was in the hospital and couldn't go home by herself. So she needed to go to assisted living or residential care home and she gets admitted and she can't see her family. And that happened for quite a long time. So that was a difficult process. Some states are saying you can't even visit unless you have proof of vaccination. In the, in the very beginning, you couldn't even walk into one. You couldn't you couldn't even tour these places. You couldn't go in them. But again, that's, that's changed. But, you know, again, it, it could change at any time if the numbers uh, surge. So what's your vision, not only for Majestic Residences, but the senior care space as we move into the next three to five years, let's say? Yeah, this, we're going to see, I think, a lot of changes, a lot of innovation. I really see a lot of um, specific specificity kind of places, you know, maybe places that, that focus just on one kind of disease or, you know, one kind of illness. We're seeing a lot more... Well, let me back up. With the the caregiver crisis, which is going on right now, um, the bigger places are really trying to pivot and shift more towards younger seniors. So they're trying to get the younger senior because they'll be in the place longer. And, you know, the more healthy a senior is, less caregivers, right? Interesting. So I'm seeing the bigger places really try to make that shift. They're also make, trying to make a shift into affordability, that middle market where they can work on scale to bring prices down to a, a point where more people can afford it. And then you have those that are going totally high-end luxury. So, you know, we're just seeing a lot of differences, I think, the next three to five years. Interesting. Now, as you know, this show's called Let's Talk Legacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what does legacy mean to you, Chuck? You know, I think that to me, kind of relates to a definition of success, maybe, 
uh, doing the right things during your lifespan. I had someone ask me once, what is your definition of success, Chuck? And my answer, honestly, was I know I'm successful when I could, when I could work as a Walmart greeter and want to. Mm-hmm. Then you kind of know you got them taken care of. But I, I think that, you know, legacy means responsibility, doing things that you're supposed to do to create a legacy, you know, for yourself and for your family. What about for your company? What does legacy mean? Yeah, th- I've lived it, you know, with, with, you know, having my first company acquired and see it live uh, without me. I hear a lot of entrepreneurs are upset about that. I, I really enjoy it. I, I really like seeing how, you know, my wife is the brand president now. She took over and I really love seeing how it's it's growing. And, you know, in the very beginning, I was always afraid of maybe I, I never wanted to get so big where I didn't know a franchisee's name, you know, and now I don't know 40% of the system and I'm actually okay with that because I maybe look forward to meeting them someday, you know, but it's, it's knowing that you're building something that can live by itself later. Yeah. So how would you want to be remembered? Hmm. That's a great question, Gary. <laughs> Probably is someone who fought for what he believed in, didn't really ever just accept the status quo, a disruptor, probably the best way I would, I would think. And do you think creating a company where thinking about the legacy you're leaving is important? Absolutely. Right. If you don't know where you want to end up or how, where you want the company to look like when you're ready to step down, you're, you're in a whole heap of trouble trying to build it because you don't, you don't have that blueprint to build a company by. You know, you talked about in the next three to five years, there's going to be a lot of changes in the senior care space. What's your personal goal? Well, we just went international. We just uh, sold a master franchise license in Dominican Republic, Latin America. I think in the next year, I'd like to have 40 to 50 homes open uh, and working internationally also, maybe in another country or so. That sounds like a good plan. So if someone wants to get involved in starting a house starting a home, somebody's listening to the show and their mother or their father or husband or wife needs advice, how would people reach out to you? Yeah, the best way is to go to uh, majesticresidences.com and see if we have uh, a home in, in the area. And if we don't, still give us a call and we'll connect you with some people that can help you find some places. Awesome. Thank you, Chuck. You've been listening to Chuck Bongiovanni. CEO and co-founder of Majestic Residences Franchise Systems. I'm Gary Michaels, your host with Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, and we hope you all have a great rest of your day. Let's live legacy. Thanks, Gary. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies. Thank you.